Every uh, year, we start off with a new series. We have a bit of a, a unique flavor for our Wednesday night. We have a bit of a unique flavor for our Monday morning chapels. We love our times here in this room together. It's quite special. And Kim and I, uh, we really count it a privilege and an honor uh, to share God's Word with each of you. Uh, and so tonight, we're beginning a new series, a brand new series as it's our brand new year. And our series is titled In God's Sight. We're going to go through lots of Romans. Uh, and Kim's going to open that up and describe it. So would you give Kim a round of applause? Uh, every year we get to the privilege of, of writing on windows and sharing what God's been doing in our own hearts and then believing that the conviction that he has placed in our hearts is going to bring conviction to us collectively. And so God bless you as you speak with grace, humility, and boldness. Thank you. Uh, I want to say uh, welcome to so many people. Uh, welcome to our freshmen. Welcome back to everybody who came back to people who left us but just can't go fully, welcome. It's great that you have come to visit. Yes. Uh, welcome and thank you for coming to our staff and faculty and for, for guest parents and pastors. Thanks for coming. So we've got a full house and it's super exciting to be here together. And I just want to ask everybody, so... How is your week going? How is it going? Um, orientation week can be a lot. Anybody with me here? Yeah, it can be a lot. There's a lot to take in, particularly, particularly for freshmen. You're like information overload and people just keep giving you more information as if it's supposed to like register somewhere and it's not really and it's getting more and more overwhelming and then there's the whole like does any has anybody here thought I wish I could redo my first impression with that person because I just did not lead with my best self like has anybody felt that this you don't have to put your hand up on that one um that was that's a lot of my experience on a regular basis. <laughs> like, I wish that I could redo my first impression. Like, I realize I can come off a bit much. Um, and and it, just, it just flies out of me um, at a speed in which I just can't catch it. Um, and so often I'm like, oh, I wish I could just turn back time a little bit and redo that. And like, yeah, that's been my experience for the majority of my life. Uh, so I thought I would share a little bit, even like that feeling, because I had that feeling when I was freshman. So here's freshman Kim in the dorm. Love and life, not much has changed. <laughs> yeah, so that's me. I'm pretty sure those socks were my Thursday socks. You know, when you have socks that actually tell you what day of the week to wear them? Yeah, I was that person. Um, so I remember my freshman year, I had arrived two days before, I think. Everybody else had come. So I know some of you have had that experience. I was coming in from Ontario and yeah, 
only when I came in from Ontario, my dad came out with me and he says, whatever you do, Kim, don't tell anybody you're from Ontario. They don't like you here. And I was like, oh, only like, what's like either the first or second question that gets asked here? Where are you from? And then what happened was there was a bunch of Ontario people that were around and they're like, Ontario! And I was like, oh my God, everybody hate me. So then I was like, well, I was over, I was, I was overdoing it. Shocking. I was overdoing it. You know, I wanted people to like me and, and think that I'm nice and not like, huh, those other people. And, uh, and so I overdid it. And so eventually I found out that I scared some people. <laughs> No joke. This is not in my notes. No joke. My roommate asked to be moved because I was a bit much. <laughs> that was me. Because I was the person in the morning who was like, good morning. How are you? Like, how was your sleep? Like, that was me. Um, I have grown a little bit in these, in these ways, but not enough. So there are many times that I wish that I could redo my first impression. Um, to be, however, there are other times in my life where I wish that I could redo um, not my first impression, but like my 37th. Um, <laughs> let me tell you a story. So um, in my freshman year, there was this uh, girl by the name of Rachel, and Rachel and I that's Rachel and I. So cute, hey? So we sort of look similar, sort of, but when nobody knows anybody, we just kept getting called the same name. Like I was getting called Rachel, she was getting called Kim. I know that has, I've done, I have done that to people here, so I can understand now why people did it to us. So we became friends, and both of us were from Ontario, and, um, and so I thought she was so cool. She was such a bold person, and I just thought she was so amazing, and I wanted to be her friend, and we did become friends, and, um, and so anyways, our first year together, we we built this wonderful friendship. And then in between our first and our second year, she and her fiance got married and I was in their wedding. And it was the most fun wedding I had ever been a part of. It was awesome. And so we come back, it's second year, and now Rachel and her husband, Ben, they are living in the Mo. And so there is some like when people get married and they move into the mo, they do feel a little bit like, I'm left out of all the fun. And then when people get married and move into the mo and their single friends are like, where are my married friends? Like, where did they go? There's this like weird tension that's not actually expressed. And they both want to hang out and yeah, they don't. Uh, and so anyways, we were trying to figure this out. And um, we had made plans to bake cookies, right? It was going to be such a fun night, just me and Rachel hanging out baking cookies, and it was going to be awesome. And so, in fact, they were going to be peanut butter cup cookies with a caramel square on the inside. Yeah, they're delicious. However, if you have anaphylaxis, bad news. But neither one of us had anaphylaxis, so we were okay. 
So we had this plan to bake cookies. So during that day, we're going to do it in the evening. And during that day, I had been hanging out with a friend, a friend who I kind of liked. And, and I was like, yeah, well, now things are getting juicy. Kim, why are you leading with the cookies? Huh. Anyways, so there's this guy that I kind of have a crush on. And, and so he had invited me to, to, like, hang out that night. I know. So spoiler alert, nothing worked out there. <laughs> However, let's continue on with the story. <laughs> so, I think to myself, oh my goodness, I really like this guy. I'm going to hang out with him instead of Rachel. <sighs> this is the part that I wish I could redo. <sighs> so, I ditched Rachel. And at the time, like, nobody had cell phones. We're talking in the olden days. Like, nobody had cell phones. I didn't even, I don't even think I called her. Like, I, bad, bad friend. Really, really bad friend. Bad friend. Totally ditched her, hung out with this guy. I can't even remember what we did. So it mustn't have been that great. So anyways, we, um... So later on, Rachel comes up to me and says, so you ditched me. And she's like, why don't, like, do you want to just come over anyways? And so I went over the next day. And, um, and I realized it's clear, clear as day. I remember sitting in her, in her Mo apartment. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm crying. And, and she's like, you like, didn't even tell me that you were like, we could have rescheduled. And I was like, I know, but he asked me if I wanted to go out. And I said, yes. And then terrible Kim. Then I was like, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm an RA and people don't like me sometimes. And I'm trying really hard. And I just feel like I'm going every which direction and I can't get my act together. And I'm bawling, literally bawling to the person that I ditched. Like this is poetic brutality. Like this is awful. And and so she says to me, well, what do you need? It's like, I just need some time to be alone. Yeah. So do you know what she does? She does. Does? You know what she does? Um, she says, okay, I'll give you some time alone. So she and her husband, both Summit students, poor, because we are all, you know, you're all poor, poor Summit students. They bought me a night at a hotel by myself so that I could have time by myself. I didn't have a car, so they drove me to the hotel, picked me up the next morning so that we could all go to church together. I know. I know. Like, 
I am, I'm so disappointed in myself that in those moments. But even though I would want to redo that moment, I would never want to redo that moment because Rachel gave me such an incredible gift because she, she saw me not through my behavior. She saw me as who she saw me as. She just saw me. She knew I was her friend. She saw me with love and compassion. And that's how she responded to me. She didn't respond to me, to my behavior. She responded to who she knew that I was and how she chose to see me. It's incredibly beautiful. And that moment, that experience has forever um, given me a picture of God's love. Forever. And I will forever tell that story because she made me better. Because Rachel lived like Jesus, she made me better because I want to live like her still. I want to be like Rachel. So she treated me like she saw me. And this is a bit of the theme of Romans and the theme that we're going to be going through in the next few weeks. Through Romans, it's like God is saying, I see who you really are. I'm not looking at your behavior. I see who you really are. And who you really are is right in my sight. That's who I see you to be. So we get a really clear picture of that in Romans 5. So if you have your Bibles with me, why don't we take a look at Romans 5, verses 1 to 2. It says this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we are confident and joyfully looking forward to sharing God's glory. And we'll stop there for now. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you see us through your sight and not through our behavior. Um, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our, to our spirits and we would respond to what you are saying. Amen. So in this text, this under, I hear this little, I hear this voice saying, hey, I've made you right in my sight. This is who you are. This is who you are. Oftentimes, that is a statement that we're trying to sort out. Who am I? And so the next few weeks, we're going to be looking through the book of Romans. We're going to explore who we are in God's sight. We're going to see that we are people of contrast, that we are people of hope, that we are people who are slaves to God, not slaves to sin, that we are people 
who are empowered by the Spirit of God, that we are people who are children of God, that we are people who share in the glory of God, that we are people who are loved by God. This is who we are. And we'll be taking a look for many weeks, declaring this is who we are. So, starting off in chapter or in chapter five, verse one, it says, This is who you really are. You are right in God's sight. Now, it is probably important just to get us sort of situated into Romans because we're landing sort of mid, a little, a third of the way through, really. Third. Uh, So let's just sort of get ourselves oriented to the book of Romans and then we can move on. But at the time, uh, when the book of Romans is being written, there is quite a divisive um, situation going on among believers. There's some self-promoting. This sounds pretty familiar to our situation in life. And Paul is writing this letter to reorient the church, to see who Christ made them to be and how we are to live. And so that's true for us. So in chapters 1 through 4, we see that God or Paul is highlighting and revealing God's righteousness. We're taking a look at God's righteousness. And and we see in chapter 1, verse 17, it says that the good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And right away, we start to look at, through Romans, uh, what rebellion and what sin looks like, but how God rescues God rescues his people. So then in chapters 5 through 8, it describes this new humanity. And what it um, and we see how God has kept his covenant promise to Abraham. And he continues to be faithful to his people, creating a new humanity. And he highlights the fact that just as God, who is faithful, to be present and lead the Egyptian or lead the Israelites out of Egypt. So even now, God is faithful by his spirit to lead his people out of the wilderness of life. And then we see in chapter 9 through 11 that there's this fulfillment, what the fulfillment is of God's promise to Israel. And we highlight how there are particular problems in, uh, for Israel in receiving the Messiah. And yet that... that um, those problems of receiving actually opened it up for all people to receive Christ and to receive salvation. And then in chapters 12 through 16, we see this, the unification of the church. And, and it, the, it closes, the book closes off with uh, the epistle describing new life, new life of the spirit and how the community comes together and um, and is founded on Jesus Christ. And so that's the overarching book. But we land in chapter five today. So it's an orienting epistle. Like it really is a book that if you were sort of spinning, it helps you find your horizon. And so we're finding our spot, our focal point to keep us moving in the right direction. And so just like the church in Rome, we need some reorienting. We do. Uh, because, you know, sometimes, particularly when it comes to who we are, because sometimes we take 
personality tests, and I love those things. They're fun. We take personality tests, or we take, like, the strength finders test, and we say, this is who I am. Or we, like, grab tight to our passions, and then we say, this is who I am. Or we perhaps hang on too tightly to what people are saying about us, and we say, this is who I am. Or perhaps we haven't let go of things in the past, and we say, this is who we are, or this is who I am. But scripture is showing us that God is saying, this is how you are. This is who you are in my sight. And today, we land with right. We are right in God's sight. So what's it mean to be right? Let's just tie up all of the loose ends, hey? Context, language. Okay, so let's talk about right for a second before we hop into, um, there's some other things to look at. So our text tonight talks about how we're right in God's sight. And however, in your Bible, perhaps, it says that we've been justified through faith. Do we have any justified by faith people in the house? Is that what your Bible says? Yeah. Great. Well, what does it mean to be justified by faith or made right? And what does that mean for who we are? Okay, so to be justified by faith has everything to do with God being righteous. Those concepts of justification and God's righteousness are intertwined. And they, ha- they share some, some similar language. Uh, Paul uses some similar language in, in some of these texts. And so we, and Paul is using different, like, derivatives of the same word over three dozen times to really land about how justification, being made right, is completely intertwined with God's righteousness in who God is. So we do all of this stuff about language. However, the original audience didn't need to because the original audience knew, like they were so um, intimate with the language, particularly because in the Old Testament, the, the language of righteousness for God is used so much. And we see that there's sort of three concepts that arise out of the concept of righteousness for God throughout the Old Testament. When God is described as righteous, we see that it's either noting that God is either just, that he's faithful, or there's this dynamic sense of salvation uh, to his promises and the salvation of his people and the commitment to his promises. Now, they got it, the concept of this justification, righteousness dance, but What's make, what makes it sometimes difficult for us is that we don't have a, a word for it. And so really what's being said here is God righteouses us. He righteouses us. When we are right in God's sight, when we are justified, he righteouses us. So through the power of the cross of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are in God's sight. We are made right because he is right, because he is righteous. We are made right. We find who we are in who he is. 
And who we are is now given some newness. We are given a new status when we are made right. So we are no longer guilty. We are forgiven and we are acquitted. We, are, we have a new family. We're stuck with each other now. We are included in the family of God and we have a new future. This is who we are. So now that we've got that sorted out, there are some results. Our, our text talks about how there are some results of being made right in God's sight. The first is the peace is to have peace with God. Now, from Isaiah, you know the Christmas verse that says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? You know, the Christmas verse? Yeah. So Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Peace. The fruit of the Spirit is, you got it, nailed it, nailed it. Peace with his people and peace among his people is a really big deal for God. It's a really, really big deal. And often we think of peace as sort of the absence of hostility. But in our Old Testament concept, and we were in the Old Testament concept of peace, and you probably know this already, some of you, it's this concept of shalom. And shalom really is much more positive. It speaks much more of a general sense of harmonious well-being. It is not just an inner peace, but it's an external. It's physical, social, spiritual. It's the well-being of a person. That's peace. In Isaiah 32, verse 17, it says, The fruit of righteousness will be, the, will be peace. Its effects will be quietness and confidence forever. This is who we are, people of peace. As I was preparing for tonight, um, this concept of peace was really on my heart. And I had a bit of a picture. And it was a picture of, um, of people in makeshift um, makeshift armor, and they were holding swords, but they weren't on the battleground. They were actually in their home camp. And I I really feel as though God is saying there are three things about peace with God. The first thing that I believe that's really heavy on my heart, that God is saying to lay your weapons down. We are not at war. God is not at war with you. And for some, you feel like God's at war with you or you're at war with God. And he's saying, lay your weapons down. I'm not at war with you. There are some who are at war within yourself. There's a battle with yourself that's filled with tons of negativity and fighting internally. And God is, I believe that he is saying, you are not at war with yourself. You are a person of peace. That's who you are. And then there's one last, and it's you are not at war 
with others. We are in a battle. It is a battle that is of power and principalities. It's not of flesh and blood. The one that we are in battle with is the enemy, not other people. We are not at war with others. And I honestly feel like God is saying, you can, you can let your weapons down. You can let your shield down. We are not at war here. We are not at war with God internally or with others. He calls us. The result of being right in God's sight is to be at peace with God and with others. That's who we are. Next, it says that we have an undeserved privilege. Maybe in your Bible, it says that we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Is that, is that what the Bible says, maybe? Yep. Okay, so there is this movie that came out in the 90s that probably nobody should watch. However, it's called Wayne's World. And, <laughs> and there's a part in Wayne's World where Wayne and Garth somehow acquire an like a backstage pass to a concert. And it's an Alice Cooper concert. And so they have their lanyard and they've got their all access pass on their neck. And they just keep going like this to everybody to make sure that they can get to the place that not other, that other people can't get to. They have access. And Sometimes we think that, like, now we have this, like, special pass. And that's not actually what's going on here. Um, <laughs> this access, really what this is talking about is that God is making space for our constant need for grace. It's not privilege, like, oh, I can be where, where the other people can. It's, you need this. Here's grace. You're going to need this. Here's some more. More grace. That's this undeserved access of grace. Um, we know, obviously, we know that we can never earn our way to salvation, right? We can't earn that. It's by grace. But somewhere along the line, when we're followers of Jesus, somewhere along the line, we start to think somehow that this generous privilege of grace, we have to start, like, managing. You know what I mean? Where, like, we start to think, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get grace for this one. And we start to, like, manage our grace, where we start to think that we have to, like, earn because now we know better, right? And so then we should, like, we have to manage it, or we have to, like, or we're, it's almost like it's on rations, right? Like, grace is now on rations. And we see in Romans 6, 14, it says that we now live, present tense, under the freedom of grace. In the space of grace is where we live. Not just then when we were saved, but in this grace. So quick story. This summer, I was in Ontario. I was at Co Grayside Camp. 
Wayside. So I have a cottage there. Now, I was there for a month. Now, I don't know about you who have gone maybe to visit your family for the holidays, but does anybody ever feel kind of stuck or trapped because you don't have a car, but your family has a car and you feel trapped? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, I totally feel that way whenever I go home. I feel trapped. And my parents and my brother have said, you can use the car anytime, anytime. You can use the car. So that's really nice, but I don't want to like overuse. I don't want to be that person who's like using my parents' stuff all the time, you know? And so I I had asked my brother to use his car. And then what happened was we got in a little bit of a sibling tiff, if you know what I mean. And, And there was, it was just tense because in our family, we don't actually address things. We just feel it, right? Does anybody have a family like that? Okay. Yeah, we feel it. We make everyone feel uncomfortable, but we don't actually talk about it. I see. Okay. So that's what happened. I made my brother upset and I was feeling the tension of that. And I had asked him to use his car and I was going to actually go visit uh, Randy and Cody Phelps, who are here tonight, who are part of our... yeah wherever you guys are. I was going to go see them. And then I had this tiff with my brother and I was like, I can't use this car. Oh my goodness. So I emailed Randy. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm having car issues. I'm not going to be able to see you. (laughs) Randy, I'm confessing to you right now. I'm confessing. This is what happened. So I was feeling so guilty that I couldn't use this car that I eventually just didn't end up meeting with you. She was gracious. She was gracious. That's Randy. Oh, so lovely. So I was so, I, I, because I felt like you have said, and I prob, he probably would have given me his car. He probably would have if I had said, Glenn, can I use your car? He probably would have said, yes. However, I felt like I wasn't in good standing. Therefore, I couldn't ask for what he had offered me. We often do that with God. We often do that with him, where we feel like we're not in good standing, so I can't ask him for grace. And then we sit in this weird, funky place of guilt that we were never, ever meant to sit in. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. So let's hear what scripture is telling for us. We are people who are made right in God's sight, who have this undeserved privilege where we can actually experience God's grace and he has it for us freely. This is who we are. Um, Yeah, like we can't be treating God's grace as rations. He acts on behalf of his own will. He has, God has his own free will. And he has zero obligation to us as to how he chooses to give his grace away. And so tonight, perhaps we can experience and sit in the the joy of the undeserved grace that is ours. And what's cool is, is like shalom, because shalom is not just for me, me and my relationship with God, but it's also me and my relationship with you. So is this. So is this grace. That as much as I have been given grace, so I am to give it away. 
that is difficult. Have you met you? Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was just going for a laugh. Okay. But this is who we are, people who get to live in grace. Lastly, we are joyfully looking forward, or perhaps your, your Bible says rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is the result of being made right in God's sight. We get to be confident. We get to boast about who our God is and what he's going to do. We get to be confident. This verse, it, like, it sort of corrects the idea right from the get-go that to experience joy or to rejoice in something means that everything's going to be awesome. Right. Correct. Correct. So it says we rejoice, Paul says this in the next verse, that we rejoice in suffering because it produces perseverance, character, and hope. Hope comes from suffering. That sounds strange, but here we are. I quoted her last night, and I'm going to quote her again. Abigail said something very wise the other day. You did. We were chatting, and she said, you know, hard things aren't necessarily bad things. So wise. Hard things aren't necessarily bad things. In fact, they produce character. And they're places of hope. Just like resistance training, for those of you who are, you know, gym rats, uh, just like resistance training, I'm talking your language, Josh, this one's for you. In resistance training, it's the tension, it's the ripping and then the, and then the, the resting that builds the muscle. It's the tension. And so for us, it's the tension that challenges us, that builds us up, that strengthens our hope. Now, what I love about the journey that we're about to go on from now on uh, throughout the semester, through Romans 5 and 8, or 2, 8, Paul addresses um, what it means to being right in God's sight. And it says that it's, it's about the hope that we have, yes, in eternity, Absolutely, we have an incredible hope. We will be with Jesus. That is the greatest hope beyond this world. But our hope is also here. It's not just on that side of eternity. It is also on this side of eternity. And we have a great hope right now because God is alive and active in your life and in this world. That is a great hope. So, just sort of to finish off this idea, just before chapter five, because you know how it said therefore, and so the therefore was this bit here. And so Paul is talking, and he gives us this example of hope. He says in verse 18 of chapter four, he says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become a father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham had faith, sorry, and Abraham's faith didn't weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead 
and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and this, uh, in this, and he brought glory to God. I think tonight God is reminding us that to be right in God's sight is to have hope like Abraham. Can I challenge us? Can we be encouraged tonight to be people who have hope that even when we cannot see how we're going to get, how we're going to move ahead, even if we don't, we are not uh, sure how we're going to pay for things, even though we cannot see our job, even though we cannot see where our internship is coming from, even though we cannot see how our books are going to get paid for, even though we cannot see how our healing is going to come, the fact of the matter is, is we can have hope. This is who we are. We are people of hope. We are people who are live in the abundance of grace. We are people who can be at peace because we are right in God's sight. Romans 6, 4 says this, now we live new lives. We live a new status. We live a new, we have a new family. We have a new future. And we can live in that. I'd like to invite the band up. And this is what I would love for us um, to do. I fully believe that we all know that Jesus loves us. And if that's not you, if you're not sure that Jesus loves you, can I tell you that he loves you so much? Loves you so much. And he made a way for you to be in relationship with him. But sometimes we can know that Jesus loves us, but not fully understand who he says we are. And I think that there are some people here who don't fully get who you are, who don't get that you are right in God's sight. And I believe that there are some people who, when I was talking about peace, that resonated with you. And the Holy Spirit keeps bringing that up for you. And you need to address that. And I believe that there are some people here who have a funky relationship with God's grace. And I think that there's some people here who feel like this is your last ditch effort. This is it. This is God's last effort to do something in your life or else you're cutting it. And can, can I encourage you, and actually I would invite you to stand in this moment. That whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is sort of stirring within you, can I encourage you to respond to that? Now, one of the great ways for us to respond, whether that's by our, by our um, in our hearts, and we can do that, but there's something about moving our bodies. I believe that there is something dec declarative about moving our bodies. And if there's something here that the Holy Spirit has just been speaking to you about, can I encourage you, even now, to move your body 
bring it to here and let the Holy Spirit tend to the thing that he's talking to you about. Maybe there's healing that's needed here. Perhaps there's confession that's needed here. But whatever it is, the Holy Spirit knows. And can I invite you to respond in some way to what the Holy Spirit is doing within you? Look up to the sky and see a big guy.